Turning to our first segment, 300,000 New York City public school students who had been receiving at least some in-class instruction returned Monday to an all-virtual classroom following last week's latest round of school closings due to the coronavirus. Many teachers and parents remain confused and upset about the school openings and closings as as they've unfolded. Uh, Joining us this evening to help make sense of what's going on and and give us a a clearer picture of of what it's been like to teach so far this fall in the public schools, we are joined by Aixa Rodriguez, a high school ESL teacher, also a member of the Movement of Rank-and-File Educators and Bronx Educators United for Justice. Aixa, welcome to the WBA. Welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You bet. So, uh, first of all, uh, can you give us your react reaction to the uh, um, school closings that were announced uh, toward the end of last week and, and how they were handled? Uh, it feels like I'm in a car with a bad driver who stomps on the brakes and, <laughs> you, you know, throw, throw, throw forward to be you know, shocked at the thing. It, it's just constantly, like, you get one one idea of how the days and the weeks are supposed to go, and next thing you know, it stops. So we had wanted it to be remote so we could do it well, and we could be safe. And they were like, no, 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 now yes, no, but now yes, it, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, I, terrible, terrible situation. We should have one plan and stick to it instead of going up and down. And can you talk more about what it's been like to teach uh, these hybrid classes, uh, uh, having students both some students in the class and others uh, online, as well as the challenge of teaching virtual classes and keeping your students engaged? Well, there's a, a lot of different things depending on the age. At high school and middle school level, you the kids are more independent. But when they're younger, you need a parent at home watching and supporting that the kid is engaged. Also, not every kid wants to turn on their camera. It's hard to keep them engaged. And, it, you know, people get tired of being on Zoom calls. Imagine you're a little kid staring at a screen the whole day. You know, another thing is that the very natural way that we get exercise walking around, getting a drink of water, going to the bathroom, socializing, some of that burns off some energy. We don't have that happening. It's very hard for kids to be seated in front of a laptop for hours, clicking through links, and that's supposed to be changing classes, right? Going through, you know, link one for period one, et cetera, et cetera. It's really difficult. Um, teachers are having to learn all types of new um, apps and programs, and everything is online, new curricula, everything happening simultaneously, and the kids are having to learn along with us. It's not easy, especially when you're trying to tell a parent this who speaks different languages, and help them navigate some, you know, something brand new to us. Imagine these parents having to juggle all of these different things and having kids at different age ranges in your home and right. trying to keep up with the curriculum of your youngest, your middle, and your and your oldest. It's been a, it's been difficult. It's been a challenge. It, it sounds like, and um, yet you you uh, still prefer that the the classes be done virtually for health reasons. Over death. Over death, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I don't trust that the DOE has done what it needs to do to keep us healthy. When we talk when it comes to health justice, the conditions that the teachers work in are the conditions that the students are learning in. So if we know that there's mold and asbestos and PCBs and broken chip paint and on a regular year 
and we know that things don't get clean regularly, why are we supposed to have faith that this is going to be safe? Right now, we don't have that faith. And because they didn't listen and they wanted to push, push, push to open, then close, push to open, it's always reactionary. It's never preventative. They don't seem to have their stuff together. And watching this Abbott and Costello thing going on, who's on first, the mayor's in control, the governor's in control, between Cuomo and de Blasio doesn't bring us that feeling of someone's in charge, we feel secure. It's the complete opposite. You know, I would still rather struggle through helping the kids go online and talk to me in breakout groups on a Zoom than deal with the reality of of them possibly contaminating each other. These kids are coming from different parts of the city. You can't do geographical regions when you have kids who are commuting from one community into the other. You know, they came up with that high school lottery game of throwing the kids across the, the city yep. instead of developing community high schools. Now you got kids in Queens coming to schools in Manhattan. So, yeah, I would rather be remote. Okay. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's ironic because, uh, of course, uh, our uh, political leaders right now are encouraging people to uh, stay at home for Thanksgiving and, and, and not travel for the holiday. Yet uh, school students until recently were being um, encouraged to travel back and forth across the city. Uh, what One other thing about the condition of the schools, if you could speak to for a moment, uh, as the weather has grown colder, as fall uh, moves toward winter, what has it been like to teach in-person classes with open windows uh, because those open windows are the only source of uh, ventilation uh, in uh, older school buildings? Well, teachers like Gia Lee at the Earth School have been documenting the, the temperatures in their classroom, and it's below 50 and sometimes lower. And the kids are wrapped up, sometimes up against the heater. She's been tweeting about this for a while. A bunch of other teachers have been um, also tweeting about what, what it's like to have squirrels come through the window, the rain come through. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is coming to, to the head. We understand that we haven't been invested in for decades. Our buildings are falling apart and old. They are not up to par. They know it. They've been knowing this. And now you expect these kids to come some of them who live in shelters, some of them who live in apartments that the landlords are not giving key, and they have to come to school and be bundled up. I mean, to say a memo and emails from the union and the DOE to tell the kids to wear layers and sit in the room, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And a lot of the kids are, you know, not showing up, even though they signed up for blended. They stay home and say things, oh, I forgot it was my A, B, A, B, C, D. A day mm. or whatever it is, you know, it's it's a real big joke. We've had to push and try to get kids to, to increase attendance. Most kids are remote, and the vocal minority of parents who have been pushing for opening of schools do not speak for all of them, and people vote with their feet. So maybe some uh, independent journalists should stop going to the upper, you know, east side and maybe go into the hood and ask those parents why they're keeping their kids home, and then they will hear the truth. They don't have faith. They know the schools are falling apart. Their kid is freezing. They could be warm at home. You know what I'm saying? And the right. other thing is that inconsistent instruction. When you're going A, B, C, D all through the week, you're, if you're two of the two, three kids in front of me in class, there's 25 online. Why would you want to be the three kids in the room? There's only two other kids there. Like, it, nobody's showing up. It doesn't make sense. It's not actually in live instruction because you're, they asked, they had no choice. They had to have teachers do both positions, the in-person and remote simultaneously because they didn't have the staffing 
So it's not real. They're doing Zoom calls in the building of school on a laptop. And right. they could have been home one. We're going to have to wrap it up in the next minute here. Uh, but one other thing I wanted to touch on, uh, as I mentioned at the start of the segment, you're a member of the Movement of Rank-and-File Educators, which is the left-wing social justice caucus of the teachers' union here in New York City. And while we hear a lot about teachers in relation to, you know, whether they're teaching in person or not, uh, I understand Moore has uh, also been working on other projects, including uh, advancing a Black Lives Matter uh, curriculum in in the schools. Uh, Real quickly, can you uh, summarize uh, what's happened with that? So members of BLM at schools um, in New York City include members of Moore. Members of Moore have put a resolution up for the past three years in the UFT Delegate Assembly for support for our curriculum projects, the things that we've been doing with BLM in schools, um, following the 13 principles. And we, this year, published two books, uh, a coloring slash workbook, and um, through Lee and Lowe, Karen and Lelenia, the authors, and uh, Denisha Jones has um, co-wrote um, a book on Black Lives Matter in schools that's also coming out. Um, and we finally, after three years of putting that resolution, 90% of the Delegate Assembly approved a resolution supporting the, the week of action, curriculum development, activities for families, and the things that we normally do during Black Lives Week of Action in February. Fantastic. Well, we congratulate you on that. We'll have to leave it there for now. But uh, Aixa Rodriguez of uh, Movement of Rank-and-File Educators and uh, ESL uh, teacher in the Bronx, thank you so much for joining us thank this evening. You. It was great. Thank you.